And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, August 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We're going to take a look at some players who are surprisingly meaningful at the end of this season. Maybe it was guys that were drafted that have become critically important to our rosters, but in a few cases, it's players that were nowhere near our roster back when the season started. And here they are holding down important roles as the final month of the season approaches. And this was really inspired, you know, by a, a comment, I think, that was on your chat about Cole Reagans. Because Cole Reagans looks like he is going to be a late season difference maker. I believe it was Steve G who made a request that we spend some time assessing Reagans and what he brings to the table and trying to project out what the final you know, five or six starts of this season might look like from him. And just from a how did he get to Kansas City perspective, I'm I'm still surprised the Rangers flipped him for three months of a role as Chapman, if only because Reagans is a big arm from the left side that could do at least the basic things that Chapman does out of the bullpen. But as we're seeing with him as a starter in Kansas City, there's probably a lot more that Cole Reagans can do. Yeah, it's it's really kind of amazing. I don't I can't think really of a transformation this like ridiculous in one season. I mean, when was the last time? I mean, we, we talk about velo bumps and stuff. When was the last time, like, four miles an hour? Like, that's never happened. Like, I can't. That's, like, ridiculous, right? Like, Mitch Keller, we were, like, talking about him just this beginning of this season getting more velo, and wasn't it, like, one? <laughs> I think his was, like, incremental over a couple of off seasons if he's increased. I don't think it was four altogether, which is just absurd. But yes, this this is a big bump for Reagans, but it's not just the velo, right? He's got a good slider, and I think that's something that's changed quite a bit from the pitch mix that he was throwing during his time in Texas. I was going back and, and watching old videos. I was just on Savant clicking strikeout videos, and there were a bunch of strikeouts that were from just a mop-up appearance against Atlanta. They were down like 8, down 9, down 10, and there he was striking out the, the clutch key hitters in the Atlanta lineup, and it's like, oh, this is... This is actually kind of interesting. There were little flashes of of this on a very granular level if you looked real closely. But I mean, come on! Like it, part of it's that there's little faith in the Royals being able to properly identify and or then like develop pitching to its highest level. So to see this happening in Kansas City is also surprising for me, given our frustrations over the years with. Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer and Brad Keller and a bunch of guys that have been kind of up and down, but mostly down trying to break through for the Royals. So that's the other part of this that I, I just didn't see coming at all. I, I, when I see these surprising pitchers, usually it comes from a more expected place. Yeah, well, uh, don't uh, pat the Royals too hard on the back. I think <laughs> that this is a combination of Cole himself and Tread uh, is the pitching lab that Cole went to in the offseason. Worked with Tyler Zombro, uh, who's a pretty cool cat. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. I've talked to him a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I give Cole credit not only because it's the pitcher that has to do the work uh but he came up with the idea for the slider that you mentioned because he said he had uh two starts in the minors this year where he was just getting blasted by left-handed hitters and he's like this doesn't make any sense you know i'm i'm supposed to get lefties out but his two other pitches the changeup and the curve you know they can have reverse platoon splits and so he was getting righties out but he was having trouble getting lefties out and so he talked a little bit to Tyler and uh, came up with uh, this this curveball that he throws, uh, this new slider that he throws, and he throws it 
87 and it's kind of a it's a gyro slider so it's a harder uh, gyro slider but he doesn't need a lot of movement because his curveball is big uh his changeup gets a lot of movement uh and he has a he has a cutter as well at 91 so he just needed something with a little bit of depth to get lefties out you know i think the slider and the cutter are ones that he kind of uh, he throws the slider more against lefties and the cutter more against righties and otherwise four-seam change curve. I mean, this is really nice. It's five pitches. All of them have pretty interesting movement patterns. His four-seam, we talked about the fact that he does not get great inverted uh, induced uh, vertical break on that um, four-seam, but, you know, he was like, I think he hit 100 with like one of his final fastballs in his last start. So, he was like, yeah, let me just throw it hard and, and place it well. And sometimes I get 17s and sometimes I'll get 14s. And uh, that's not going to be, you know, the, my best foot forward either way. It's not going to be, I'm not going to be a guy who's all about vertical movement. In place of that, he has good stuff, good velo, uh, you know, good stuff on the rest of his pitches and decent command. So um, I'm pretty excited. There were some would you rathers that came through on Cole Raggins. Reagan, sorry, that um, that uh, I wasn't quite ready to, I don't know how far to push him. <laughs> Let me see. I've got one in my mentions today. Um, did you, could you have any would you rathers for Cole Reagan's? Would you rather? Hmm. For the rest of this season, or are we even thinking about 2024 too? Rest of this season, I think. Tarek Skubal versus Cole Raggins. Yeah, that's good. Um, it might be Skubal just because we've seen it for a little longer. Yeah, that's true. I think the thing about Reagans that you mentioned before we started recording that's really important is he's had two elbow surgeries, right? It was Tommy John surgery Tommy and then Johns. had to have another Tommy John working his way back. So that's the the medical red flag that's going to be there that will probably keep the value from skyrocketing too high especially like sort of dynasty yeah dynasty that's i mean that's why uh the royals were able to get him for a rental reliever right because if you think about i mean <sighs> drew rasmussen had two his were more spread out the that, it's really unusual to hear of the setback yeah i wonder if it was a revision recovery. or something you know like it's on wiki it wasn't labeled a revision but, uh, you know, with the fact that he never fully came back, that's one of the reasons I do like, you know, buying on a Tommy John pitcher. I want him to even have pitched two, three games in the major leagues. You know, first of all, I get to see some of the stuff. And then second of all, he made it all the way back. You know, like Reagan's didn't make it all the way back. And Rasmussen had something similar-ish. So, you know, I would say that's an interesting comp. Um, especially with the velo bump like this, you have to feel like, ooh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a little bit nervous. But for the rest of this season, um, yeah, number one with a bullet, like something top 40-ish. Yeah, so that'd be, if you looked at some other guys that go in that range, Reagans versus, we talk about Mitch Keller all the time. Is Reagans versus Mitch Keller a fair toss-up? Keller's been uh, riding ship a little bit after some struggles. Yep, and I think his rest of season projections and Reagan's rest of season projections by ratios are pretty close by pretty much all the public facing projections I'm looking at. Yeah, I think that's a fair would you rather. Yeah, it's actually kind of tough. I think I'd take would would Reagan's uh, competition actually be easier for just the rest of season schedule. Yeah. The Fangraphs rest of season strength of schedule has Royals 500 for strength of schedule, Pirates 494, so pretty negligible. Mm. Both have nice home parks. Mm -hmm. um, both have a, 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 you know, the sliders are really a good pitch for Cole. Uh, the fastball, the four-seam fastball is good for him. Um, I'd say Stuff Plus doesn't like uh, Reagan's quite as much as Keller, uh, but Keller's also underperformed his stuff plus in the past. So they're right at each other. I don't know. Pick one, pick the other. I don't know. Okay, but we found the approximate value. So top 40 starting pitcher is not out of bounds for 
someone who's popped up midseason. It explains why when you have him, you feel like he's a set it and forget it pitcher right now. And that's just amazing for someone that was an afterthought until four weeks ago, six weeks ago. That trade was an earlier trade. I guess that was a late June trade. So, yeah, really, really good story here so far for Cole Reagans. Um, I think Aaron Savali is one of those guys. You know, when I look at my lineup right now, I'd lean pretty heavily towards keeping him in in most matchups. But I was curious if we've seen any noticeable changes in location strategy or pitch mix with his time in Tampa Bay so far. Yeah, it's tempting to point out uh, that he just had the first two games in a row uh, with 10 plus percent slider usage uh, this season um, with Tampa. So, you know, maybe they're bringing that that slider back. I will point out that he's had plenty of times when he was featuring the slider more. Uh, 2021, early, he was throwing it a lot. Uh, he's thrown that slider a lot in the past. And the only thing that I would also say is that, like, sometimes the differentiation on that slider and that curveball is not huge. Um, you know, he throws the slider 80, 81, 82, and he throws the curveball 78, 79, 80. Uh, in terms of vertical movement, uh, that's where the biggest difference lies, maybe about eight inches difference there, but horizontally, they're about the same pitch. So, um, you know, I wonder if it's hard for him to command or if it has had injury concerns for him, but for whatever reason, he has featured this slider more in the past. Um, and, uh, he is, has sort of gone away from it earlier this season. Maybe it's coming back. I think sometimes we overrate, um, how much new teams do. I was trying to look at Lance Lynn, right? For the Dodgers. And uh, I was going on my show, um, with, uh, with Chris Townsend on the, on A's cast. And he wanted to give the, 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 uh, Dodgers a lot of credit for for Lance Lynn and I was like you know sometimes I think you just get a good pitcher and you have some small tweaks and um, you know especially if you get like a bounce back pitcher like Lynn like some of it's just the luck turning the other way and then you get a lot of credit for it because uh, they're not doing anything. In fact, he's using the cutter a little bit less, uh, using the four seam and the curve a little bit more. It's not, if you're looking at Lance Lynn before and after the trade, it's not, it's not actually that huge of a difference. Uh, and so I don't know. Uh, I think there might be some real small things about like, you know, where to put certain pitches and, and how often. One thing I saw is, for example, he's throwing more low four seamers, which is a weird thing to say is a good thing. But I think what it is, is sets up the curveball. So he used to be very predictable with the four seam against lefties. It's like always high, always high. You know, if you're if you're a lefty, I guess it's easier to pre- to prepare for that. If he also throws the low four seam, then you can't say, you know, uh, look for the fastball high. You know, there's going to be times when, and then you start swinging over the curveball, right? You swing more at the curveball because you see the low four seam. So I mean, that's a tiny little thing. It's really not. It's like you know, a few pitches here and there, and that's it. So, what you know, especially with Aaron Savala, it's similar. It's like in terms of raw pitches, he's thrown like three or four more sliders a game than you'd expect with the with Tampa Bay. Yeah, that shouldn't completely change everything about a pitcher. There's still questions about the K rate. I think it's just that they've had so much success this year with Zach Eflin where they made, I think, a lot more changes. I think you can tell yourself a story that there are able to get a lot more out of Savali or get the good version more consistently um, than we've seen in the past. But Cleveland's a good organization with pitching too, and they couldn't do it. So I think there's still some reason to be skeptical as well. Look at, uh, I mean, it's an extreme example, but look at the Noah Syndergaard's fate over the the last few years. Two smart organizations couldn't fix them. Yeah. I feel like every team was like, I'll try. Um, yeah, so well, I, I have noticed that, uh, and this happened before uh, Savali came to uh, Tampa, was that the vertical movement on his four seam, he used to uh, get, you know, two inches less than he's getting now. This happened, this started happening with uh, Cleveland, so it's not all uh, for Tampa, but 
the vertical movement on his four seam is the best it's ever been, uh, Aaron Savali. So uh, that's another thing that you'll see with, uh, with Tampa, he's thrown the four seam more. It's a surprising thing to tell Aaron Savali to do. He's supposedly the bad fastball guy. But uh, a few more four-seamers, a few more sliders, and a few more Ks. Uh, but I don't know. Some of it was already happening before he got there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Here's one for you. I didn't put this name on the rundown, but it was a question that name that came our way before we started recording at rates and barrels on Twitter. Christopher Sanchez has become important for a lot of people, right? 333 ERA, 101 whip, 64 Ks and 73rd innings, 13 starts this year. Uh, the only category from a roto perspective where he's been light is the wins department. Just two wins so far. Not really his fault. He's on a good team. Pitches deep enough into games now where I think that's very much in play. Um, how sustainable is this? Because in a lot of ways, it's as much of a surprising pop-up as the first time that Ranger Suarez was effective in the Phillies rotation, where I think my longer-term view of that ballpark has always been hitter-friendly, be careful with back-end starters, and you know, Sanchez doesn't have eye-popping velocity, but he's got three pitches, and he seems to have a pretty good location strategy that works and doing a good job of, of not beating himself with walks, too. Yeah, I wonder if Ranger Suarez is a, is a, is a decent uh, place to take this. Um, Stuff Plus hates his sinker. It has a really good raw movement, um, though. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that it hates it. Uh, and then the changeup looks exactly like uh, his sinker, but it's 11 miles an hour slower. Um, if I didn't look at Stuff Plus, I would say this is uh, a real east-to-west guy with some good sync, uh, funky release. Uh, I like the slider, 83, uh, basically an 83-mile-an-hour gyro slider with a little bit of, uh, uh, a, little bit of a cuttery uh, look to it. And uh, in terms of outcomes uh, and you know, what people are doing, they are, they are hitting the sinker well. They have 11 homers on it this year and a 494 slugging. But the changeup, which has a really poor stuff plus, they're not hitting. And so I'm willing to give him the changeup and the slider um, and say he's a mediocre fastball, good change, good slider guy. And that's not too far from where I have Ranger Suarez. You know, not the greatest fastball, but you know, some good secondaries, good command. Uh, these are the types of pitchers I don't mind. Uh, you know, taking advantage of in the short run. Um, I don't know, you know, for example, even with Reagan's injury history, I think I would prefer Reagan's season to season and in keeper situations. Right. It's just that the ceiling is higher because of the stuff, the velo, the quality yeah. of the pitches, the number of pitches, all of those things favor someone like Reagan's. But I think someone like Sanchez can be a little bit overlooked and, and maybe in terms of, you know, ratios and expectations is it a different side of, uh, of of you know throwing from the right side and everything Seth Lugo I mean a forgotten man that, that lands in San Diego this year it's a deeper arsenal than Sanchez throws five pitches or thrown five different pitches this year that throws his curveball more than anything else it's different kind of approach but I I think the the medium ceiling pitchers that continue to do well are this sort of soft spot in our game they're inexpensive when you pick them up in fab, so they're usually pretty easy to get. I think there's a lot of skepticism about this group of players in general in keeper and dynasty leagues. And if you can find one that's a tick better than the pack, if, if we sort of wrongly 
lump these guys together, that creates a pretty big opportunity because it's hard to get pitching in, in like high end pitching, especially in long term leagues. But you need kind of mid level pitching too. Um, I think the difference here, Lugo, Lugo's had a lot of injuries. He's thirty three. Sanchez being much younger, you could see more keeper and dynasty appeal with him by comparison. But still, you know, I, I do think if you got like Zach Gallon in a in a keeper dynasty league, like it's pretty easy to value him. You're like, okay, this is a top end guy, good command, good secondaries. I got that. If you have Christopher Sanchez and Reagans, it's a lot harder to value them because you may not get great offers for them. You know, you may get people trying to just poach them and, you know, be like, oh, you just got that guy off the wire. You know, <laughs> you, you, like he's got no value. Um, and I, I'm tempted to say that they probably have less value than you think. You're super excited you got Cole Reagans. He's doing great. But it's the kind of pop-up pitcher that you might be able to find again next year in your league. And... I don't know. An example of that is in uh, my Devils Rejects. This is a 20 team league uh, that uh, we traded away Justin Verlander this year uh, for, and it took forever. And even he didn't get much value back. We had to take George Springer, which is, is a good, I think in the end, it was a good trade for us. Uh, we're now in third, but, um, you know, that does. You know, that isn't, uh, we were thinking, we were trying to get Zach Neto from, or Neto from earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were trying to get younger and try to get a middle infielder, but uh, we took the veteran in, in, instead. Um, and my li- my roster is Zach Gallant at the top. That was easy. Uh, we kept Charlie Morton. Uh, that was easy, even though he had no trade value, you know? <laughs> but Charlie Morton was like, here's an old guy. We'll kind of keep him. This is the rest of my rotation. Cutter Crawford for this week. Cutter Crawford, Dean Kramer, uh, Cole Reagans, and Zach Thompson, and Michael Lorenzen. Uh, you know, we've had some injuries. We lost Tyler Malley. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu is against Colorado, so he's on the, on the bench. We had Tyler Wells. Uh, so there's been other guys. But all of those guys you could have picked up this year. In fact, I think we did. We picked up Kramer, we picked up Crawford, we picked up Lorenzen, we picked up Regis, we picked up, yeah, we picked up all those guys this year. And this is the third place in a 20-teamer. So, uh, you know, yes, it, you need those guys, but also they're there for you. Well, I think that's, yeah, for me, it's, they have more value as holds than they do as players to trade. You know, they give you yeah. flexibility to move yeah, someone else. I don't, you, I doubt because you did well on the guys. wire, Trading Verlander has not hurt you that much or at all. You've been fine. That was, that was the thinking, you know, we're, that's why I'm just willing to generally trade pitching for hitting is, you know, I just feel like there's more of it on the wire. What do you think about Lugo? Is this another kind of Ross stripling sort of thing when it's good, you're really happy when it goes bad, you know, it can go bad pretty quickly. The health complicates things. Again, it's a, a curveball first arsenal for Lugo right now. Look at the pitch mix compared to previous years. It's really the same stuff that he's got in the arsenal. It's curveball, four-seamer, sinker, slider, occasional changeup. I guess he throws fewer changeups now than he did like five years ago, but how is he doing this? And, and what do you think the future holds for him as he's now past his previous MLB high in innings thrown this year? I am developing a theory about elite curveballs and aging. My exhibits are Charlie Morton, Joe Musgrove, uh, Adam Wainwright, Rich Hill, even uh, throw in a little Merrill Kelly. And my theory is just that uh, a a plus or elite level curveball is somehow more beneficial to aging than even an elite level fastball. I think a lot of the elite level fastballs have 99, you know, have big MPHs attached to it, which is a fair amount of injury risk just by throwing that hard, you know? And it's a kind of this funny thing where I think, you know, maybe conventional wisdom was, was wrong about this one about, Oh, you know, don't throw too many curveballs. You'll hurt your arm. Like, in this case, the, the curveball, you know, is usually around 80, 81. Maybe it's just less stressful. Maybe 
maybe there's something about curveballs. You know, people don't swing at curveballs, right? For generally. And so maybe if you have a plus curveball by stuff that you can also land in the zone, maybe that's just a, like a really good pitch. Because you think about it, if they're taking it, they're not swinging at it, then you land it in the zone. If they are swinging at it, then you land it outside of the zone. It's a, it's a pretty good pitch. And in terms of um, platoon splits, often is very close to neutral or reverse. So you take a guy with a plus curveball, you give him a little cutter, you give him, you know, just, you know, add to it around a little bit. And then you've seen with Rich Hill and Adam Wainwright, the very extreme cases of guys throwing 80 poo and still getting by with just a big old curveball. So uh, take this as a little pro Lugo screed here, because I think he does have a curveball on the level with those guys. Uh, you know, just by stuff. Plus Lugo sits there right with Merrill Kelly uh, in the top 25. And, uh, you know, not too far from, you know, the corpse of Adam Wainwright. Well, and I think with, with Lugo, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, from a velo perspective, it's fine. 93.5, you can, you can live with 93.5. It's not awful. It's not great, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not in the Wainwright-Rich Hill territory, right? So he still has a yeah. little bit of cushion with that. And throwing other stuff around that for a bit longer maybe helps another season or two along in a rotation he's got a player option this offseason i assume he'll decline it and go into free agency and shoot for like a two probably a two-year deal again i don't know if a team would go much more than two years for lugo but back end starting pitching it's nice to have and i think he could actually pull this trick again because i don't think the question was ever about lugo's talent it was just kind of staying on the field he's got a career 352 era and a 118 whip he's over a strikeout per inning it's just been lack of availability because of all the, the time lost over the years. I think he'd almost get the Zach Eflin deal, uh, three for 40. Wow. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think he could get that. I mean, there's a question, I guess the question that's different from Eflin, but it's actually the same as Eflin, which is just how many innings you're going to get, right? And Eflin had that same question hanging over him. Yeah, Eflin turned 29 in April, so there's about a four-year age difference, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. I had started with sort of three and 30. Yeah, Lugo um, will be 34 so. in November. Yeah, but the aging aging with starting pitchers pitchers in general, I think is a little bit more tied to stuff like your stuff plus number more than what your actual age is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If your if your stuff is receded to the fact that it's below average and it doesn't matter if you're 27. <laughs> I mean, like isn't Noah Syndergaard not even you know, well, like super yeah, super that's old? Yeah, that's a fair fair point and Syndergaard <laughs> uh, was DFA'd over the weekend. If you uh, you hear us keep mentioning that's him, that's, that's, mentioning that's the reason why. Like this, you know, who's who's next? Who's the next team? It's going to try and see if they can fix Noah Syndergaard on the fly. It just seems like it's going to take another off season in a lab if it's going to happen at all for him. But yeah, I mean, I think two years for Lugo is what I'm expecting. A third year, maybe it's in play for all the reasons that you're mentioning. I think that Eflin is also a decent comp for how to think about his value year to year. He's in the established pitchers. I think he's a little bit above, if you're talking about Keeper and Dynasty, I think he's a little bit above some of the guys we've been mentioning. Yeah, Eflin's tough to value from a, a long-term perspective because I think for a while he was a lot more like a, like a Christopher Sanchez or a you know, a Ranger Suarez or, or those guys, Cutter Crawford, like for a years. Bit like available any year, you know, just pitch him in the good years and, and don't pitch him in the bad years kind of idea. Right. So then he has this career best year in his first year with the Rays and the K rate is, is up. It's a, it's a career high other than 2020, 25% career, 25% K rate this year. Nice low walk rate like he's done in his best seasons before. He's just consolidated all of the skills together. Changing his pitch mix. You know, changed his fastball mix, changed his, his, his breaking ball mix. Like, Can you spend five years in that that vast middle, the glob, as our friend Paul Sporer has called it? Can you, can <laughs> yeah. you live in the glob for five years and emerge from the glob as a, a trusted top 30, top 40 type starter? Because that's the, that's the break before the glob, right? It's that kind of pick 100 to 125 range, and then it's just like, now the pitchers are all pretty much the same. That's that's the way most draft boards tend to go. 
Reagan's with good health, I think, is the one that could just like immediately free himself of the glob, I think. He hasn't even been in there that long. He's just going to run right through it. He's just going to say, right. this, I don't want to be but in the glob. The, I mean, the health is a, it's, it's a fairly big asterisk. Lugo, yes, Lugo's above it. Eflin, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He still hasn't convinced you. That's the, that's the best yeah, part right here. there. It's right there. I think the market in general will be skeptical because there's been so much underperformance relative to expectations prior to this season. And also just not many innings either. Yeah. Well, like tons of innings risk. I think that's the other part of it. Uh, it's the, I think innings risk when you're getting an elite strikeout rate is a lot easier to tolerate because you can convince yourself, mm-hmm. oh, it's only going to be 140 innings, but it's going to be 175 or 180 Ks. And that's going to be awesome. Lugo is closer to that. I mean, he's he, not quite an elite strikeout rate as a starter, but it's, it's not bad. What do you think about Kodai Senga? I was looking at his walk rate in the second half and it's better than when, when the season started. I think a lot of times when pitchers come to Major League Baseball from a foreign league, we wonder if it just takes some time to adjust to the baseball because it's different. It's not the pre-tack ball that they use in Japan. So are you buying the walk rate improvements that we've seen from Senga over the course of the second half as a, a skill level that he, he might actually possess going into 2024? I don't know. He's pretty borderline. I'm just looking at his second half location plus, and that's a pretty good proxy for, you know, command, in my opinion. And it's 96, and 96 is fairly borderline. I mean, it might be weird to say it, but like 97, 98 is, is much more like, oh, that's uh, Shoyotani or like, you know, even Blake Snell, you know, I think they're in that 97 to 98 territory 96 is where you start usually finding more relievers so i i don't i'm not sure about the command i will say that i don't think the stuff plus fully uh, encapsulates kodai senga's um uh you know greatness because the fork ball is not rated super highly but it is a really good pitch so uh I'm not going to go full model on this one. I'm just going to say that I think we're going to see walk rates that start with a four most years from this guy. Follow-up question then is, are we going to see K rates most years that start with a 10 or at least start with a, a one? There's like 11, 12 Ks per nine actually in range with his stuff and his pitch mix. Uh, 29% strikeout rate, uh, you know, a four-seam fastball with good shape, uh, a cutter that's pretty good, and then a fork ball that, that plays past its movement metrics. Yeah, I believe in that. I also think that the fork ball is a little hard, like, you know, it's not a curveball that he can just land in the zone. You know, it's not a pitch that I think he has great command over. And I think that's just going to be the, the fuel for, for these higher walk rates. And these higher walk rates are totally tenable, I think, for a starting pitcher, but I do think that maybe some years he has more like a 3-7 or a 4-1 ERA, uh, depending on how many of those walks score. For example, right now he has a 77% strand rate. League average is anywhere from 70 to 72. You know, some people project that more stickily. Zips has him with a 71% strand rate going forward. And Steamer has him with a 75% strand rate going forward. That's meaningful. You know, that'll mean something for your whip, for your ERA. Um, And I think there'll be some years where that number kind of oscillates a little bit and more of those walks score. So my eyes were quickly scanning through the uh, meatball draft that we discussed last week, those first seven rounds. Did Kodai Senga go in the first seven rounds of the meatball draft? You might be wondering. He did not. I would say no. He did not, and that's a group, remember, that included Joe Ryan in the sixth got in there. We didn't really talk about some of the later picks. Eflin was the very last pick to our friend Ryan Bloomfield at pick 105. Joe Musgrove was in there. Bobby Miller was in there. Walker Bueller was in there. Hasn't even made it all the way back from Tommy John. He was inside the top seven rounds. Justin Steele, as I mentioned before, that, that later group, I mean, I think you could argue you could argue Kodai Singa against probably anybody for next year out of that group. Yeah, I think I'd have him over Steele. Who else did you mention? Joe Ryan was the earliest of that bunch. Yeah. I don't know if you if you start looking at Logan Webb and Fromber, I don't know if you're pushing Senga quite that high, but that's not 
out of bounds either. Webb and Fromber just have so much uh, floor. They're just so solid. Yeah. The host, Rob DiPietro, had Grayson Rodriguez in the fifth. Kind of a later fifth round pick. So Grayson versus Senga? Senga? Unless like, you know, I'm putting a little bit of a TBD on that just because Grayson's in the midst of a bit of a transformation. So I would love to see what this last... You know, this next few starts even would mean a lot for Grayson. But right now, I'd take Kodai. The highest name in this draft that I think is still up for grabs for a toss-up would be Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez versus Kodai Singa would be one I would stare at for a long time. Yeah. I'm calling up Pablo Lopez's page. Without looking, I would have, I would have taken uh, Pablo Lopez. Yeah, I'm taking Pablo Lopez. Are you trusting that Pablo Lopez holds the K percentage gains? We've seen a level close to this before. Right. Hardest he's ever thrown. Right. He's up to 29.3% with the K rate. It's almost five percentage points over the career mark, but just about two percentage points over what he did in 2021. I think he has better natural command than Kodai. All right. So you're Pablo Lopez over Kodai Senga. I think. Yeah, I am. I think I'm tempted to Especially take now that we're going to get maybe two straight years of 180 innings pitch from, from Pablo Lopez, too. Yeah. It's a fun debate, though, because I think you could, you could realistically see Senga even one notch higher in K rate than he is right now, and it wouldn't, wouldn't phase me at all. And you could see Pablo Lopez losing a little bit of K rate because he's had lower ones in the past. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Uh, how about this name for some of the people who are relying on? Brandon Williamson. He has a lower walk rate with the Reds than he had at AA and AAA. Like, what's going on there? I know we had a mailbag question about the uh, automated balls and strike system at AAA. That was a Royce Lewis question we'll probably get to in a little bit. But I, I, do you think we're... We're overlooking that in a few facets, most notably what it's done to some control numbers for pitchers in the upper levels. Because it's not just the AAA automated balls and strikes. It's stuff like the attack balls they were using at AA earlier this season. All over the place. Wreaking all sorts of havoc, you know, increasing spin rates and helping some guys with their K rates, causing some control issues for others. Um, what, what else could there be to explain Brandon Williamson's walk rate coming down this much against top level competition. The other thing that I would point out is that, uh, you know, like Hunter Brown mentioned that when he got to the major leagues, you know, working with Martin Maldonado, who not only is a plus framer, but, you know, and works with the major league coaching staff in terms of trying to win tonight's game, where can we put pitches when we need to put them somewhere? Um, Coaching and framing will be better in the major leagues for you than it was in the minor leagues for almost everybody. So that part, maybe you could almost say universally, pitchers should have slightly lower walk rates due to those two effects. The other effects, uh, of course, are these hitters are better, so now you're going to nibble more, right? Uh, that's why it would normally go up. Um, normally, walk rate would go in the other direction. So there are these kind of competing forces in every direction. I would say that this year, in particular, AAA walk rates 
are a little tough to read and, and, and take as gospel because of what you're saying. It's not only that, you know, it's ABS, but it's like ABS Monday through Friday. And then you switch to non ABS, the challenge system where you challenge at the beginning and then you switch to the ABS. And so, uh, I think it's gotta be pretty hard. Kyle Harrison just came up. He had a one Oh three location plus, uh, despite terrible command grades. And, uh, I don't think that he struggled against the Phillies. He's the Kyle Harrison's the giants hurler. I don't think he struggled against the Phillies due to command necessarily. Uh, I think it was a good lineup and uh, he pitched decently. Uh, 103 location plus Brandon Williamson in the second half is a, a similar 103, 104. Um, Kyle Harrison said ABS made me be in the zone more and improve my command. So, you know, I don't know. There's something there maybe. Uh, I don't know that I want to turn this into like a, if you see X, then do Y, you know, like there's, <laughs> I don't know that this is like everybody with a 12% walk rate in AAA this year could have a 9% in the big leagues. I don't know if I want to go that far, but, uh, and then the last, the last thing on Brandon Williamson in particular is that he didn't throw the cutter all season at AAA last year and not even this year. I think he sort of when I was questioning why they would even bring him up, someone pointed out that he just started throwing the cutter like, you know, two or three starts before they called him up. So, you know, the cutter has made him a different pitcher. Um, you know, and it is uh, for Brandon Williamson, the cutter uh, is, you know, his primary pitch now. And uh, it's the pitch that he commands the best out of all his pitches. So, um, that's part of the picture too for Brandon Williamson. Yeah, I think what's really kind of messed up though about <laughs> the issues that are popping up in the upper levels of the minor leagues is that that will still get baked into projections. Those results will still get baked into projections because of MLEs and looking back at what you have. So I think you're going to have this lag with a guy like Williamson, anybody else who's been promoted and has only been in the big leagues for a partial season where projected performance the rest of the way is pretty far away from the current level. I mean, the bat has Brandon Williamson at a 5.53 ERA and a 148 whip the rest of the way. He's been at a 4.18 and a 125 so far, which is why for like deeper leagues, he's been more in than out of your lineups. And that's not something we expected when he got called up because of these skills flaws. So I wonder how long it's going to take to fully adjust or find a way to work through and get projections that kind of more properly reflect the goofiness of the upper levels of the minor leagues right now. It seems like that's a very tall order. Yeah, my comp for Williamson is Wade Miley. Hmm, okay. That's, you know, it's not exciting, but it's it's still it's a competent big league starter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reason I say this is because it's a, a cutter for first uh, thing for the most part um, as the establishment pitch um, a four seam that's uh, often hid or used uh, for uh, whiffs um, and uh, a really good change um, that right now has a 500 slugging against it's a really tough park Wade Miley pitched in some really tough parks so uh, you know I think that's uh, that's where I think Brandon Williamson will be you know, he's had a lower ER way away from home. Uh, I would expect that to continue. I, he'd be somebody that I would be, I'd use maybe 60 to 70% of the time away from home and like 20 to 30% of the time at home. Even in deeper leagues, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the appropriate usage for Williams. So that's an interesting comp though on Miley. I mean, we're talking about a guy that spent more than a decade in the big leagues, he's had prolonged runs of success. He's had prolonged runs of struggles. It's been um, plenty of ups and downs, but that he's still in the big leagues at 36 and pitching for contending teams says a lot about how teams evaluate him at this stage of his career. Uh, one closer I want to throw at you, Adbert Alzale. I have not thought about taking Adbert Alzale out of my lineup in about two months because he has been phenomenal really since the Cubs just gave him the closer rule. He leads Major League Baseball in saves going back to July 1st. Is he an elite closer going into next season? We just unfortunately maybe lost one over the weekend with Felix Bautista's injury, mm -hmm. but 
Alzale is pitching like someone we would really want as possibly a closer one over the last few months now. And as long as the Cubs aren't going to mess around with that role, I kind of like him as a top 10 closer. Yeah, he seems to have the temperament for it too. A uh, mm-hmm. nice, excited young man that uh, that uh, likes to come in in these in these tough moments and throw hard. Um, I will say that uh, you know, ninety-five-five for a closer these days is <laughs> is getting close to average. It's so, so stupid. Ridiculous. I can't just say out loud. 95 fans, <laughs> you know, is just kind of average. Yeah, right. It's not really that impressive. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, also like a 27% strikeout rate. Like, if you, if you want to talk elite relievers, like, you know what Felix Bautista's strikeout rate is, right? Oh, it's 40, 48% or something? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> he's striking out half the people he sees, basically. Uh, and Adbert's down at, at 27, uh, which is still good, uh, but, uh, you know, a little bit lesser than uh, some of the other uh, closers out there. So, I don't know. I, I, I Five is um, my magic number, and in terms of the circle of trust, and I'm not sure if he ascends all the way to, to five next year, but with Felix out of the mix, it might be easier to do. Do we do we want to? Do we want to do it? Do we dare try this? Do we dare try this? I mean, do we? Where do we put Edwin Diaz? <laughs> Diaz, I think sight unseen goes right back in because it wasn't his shoulder. Yeah, I it wasn't think his elbow. So, yeah. He's just right back there. That's where I'm at with him. No hesitation. Uh, so, and, and we got Felix out. That sucks. That's that's just brutal. Using the auction calculator, we've got oh. This is an interesting one. I bet you wouldn't guess who the number one reliever is according to Oxycagator. Devin Williams? John Duran. Is it? Yeah. We gotta check that math again. 23 saves. Two wins. I was looking for a big number in the wins column. I thought maybe he vultured six or seven wins or something and that would make really him pop. Really nice ERA. 71 Ks and 52 and a third. I, I don't understand. I, I don't, I think I disagree with the calculator. I, I don't really like disagreeing with calculators, but here we are. Well, I've got, uh, oh, is this rest of season? I bet you got rest Sorry. of season going there. It's rest of season. Yep. Uh, yeah, because like Jordan Romano has more saves, the same ratios, only a few fewer Ks. I would imagine Jordan Romano is just as go. valuable. To this, yeah, to this season, Felix Bautista, number one, Devin Williams, number two, Alexis Diaz, number three, Hayter, number four, Camilo Duvall, number five, and then you got Kimbrell, Phillips, Bednar, Romano. So next year, let's just replace Bautista with uh, Edwin Diaz. Um, yeah, I guess Devin Williams is in there. I, I just get a little whiff of injury risk um, from him that makes me nervous. I'll leave Alexis Diaz in there. Uh, Hater, a little bit older. Ah, I'll just just finish it with Hater Doval. Who who are we missing out on? Romano in a in a year where his back doesn't hurt. I don't think Alzale uh, jumps in there. Classe, uh, we're missing if he has a bounce back. So he's yeah, Classe is down a little bit, but I could see. I kind of I kind of feel like there's two tiers within that group that you mentioned, and if you put Alzale in either of those groups, it has to be the second one right now because of the strikeout rate. Uh, but that's certainly so what, fine. Like Cl- Classe, closer, really closer to Romano. What Diaz or? Yeah, are you taking Jordan Romano over Emmanuel Classe if you're choosing right now, or if you were making a late season trade for a reliever and you could, you know, make the deal for either one of them? Because Classe are a category. They are, and Classe has been filthy in terms of velo and movement. But this is who he is. Like this is we're He's now not at a big K guy. Two hundred and twenty-four and two-thirds career innings where it's been like a strikeout per inning, twenty-five point six percent. That's that's what you're going to get. They also, uh, you know, he made up for some of the lower rates in strikeout rates by you know having large IP numbers. But I, I would submit to you that 70 is something that a innings pitch is something that a young closer does and that uh, you stop doing at some point. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if he does not get to 70 this year. Although rest of season production says he'll do it again. Even if he does, I'm not wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't do it the next year. You know what I mean? Like I just don't think that 70 is a number you want a guy throwing every year. And in fact, one of the reasons that I think uh, Camilo Doval has uh, been run into a little bit of a wall, and I think of Doval as, as sort of similar to Class A, just a little bit more strikeouts, a little bit better slider. Um, you know, they used him pretty heavily here in San Francisco, Doval. And he might not even get to 70 innings, and he's already had a little bit of a downturn in performance, um, you know, due to, I think, fatigue. So um, I would take Romano over him, is a long winded way of saying that. So you're Romano over Class A, are you Doval so we're creating over a, Class A too? We're, take, we're taking a, 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 there's a first tier of Diaz, Williams, Hader, both Diaz's maybe. Probably both Diaz's. Hater's probably in there, even if you want to put him last because of the K rate or the walk rate, rather, being at an all time high, 13.5%. He's just getting away with that right now because he's not giving up homers. It's a huge part. Yeah. And he's still and we've misses seen a ton him of almost lose jobs because we've seen Aroldis Chapman, despite league leading stuff, lose his job over walks. And that's, it's a weird comp. They're not the same, but, <laughs> uh, but that's sort of how I think of Hader is as a late career oldest Chapman has been harder to, prog- to, be, to prognosticate and harder to know when it'll all just fall apart. I feel the same way about Hader. So uh, Hader's really borderline for me. I could just put him in the second group. But if I put him in the second group, I, I still think I'd want, you know, a fifth one in the first group. And that maybe that's Doval. There's, I like Bednar, I like Romano. Could be one of those guys. Yeah. I'm a little bit overzealous with the the Alzale right now, but do you think that this this seems like a pretty good group? Do you think that there there has to be a, such a hard uh, circle of trust next year? Uh, I feel like maybe you could wait on closer a little bit, and like, what if you got the the sixth best closer in the draft next year, and it was Camilo Doval? You know what I mean? I think you'd live with that. I don't, I don't think there's as much urgency for me right now as there was two or three years ago to aggressively try and even get two that I liked out of that top 10. I think I'm skewing even further to the eh, wait and see, get someone in that seven to 10 range. Cause the, the floor is good enough. That's there's a little bit right more, now. I think of a, of an aggressive downturn after sort of like 10, you know, or 11, like that's pretty typical though. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm looking at the names right now. 11th best reliever this year is Joel Piams. Yeah. <laughs> 13th is Kevin Ginkle. Oh, Duran is, is 20th and Paul Seawald is 21st. Like, we didn't those mention guys could, him. Those guys could actually be in my circle of trust. So I, I, may, I may try to do two out of the top 10 next year as opposed to one in the top five. I see. So may, waiting until like round six seven and eight and maybe trying to sneak two in two out of three in in those rounds and maybe like if i left those rounds romano bednar like what why would i i wouldn't feel bad at all yeah i wonder if you'll have a shot at one of them at least in that range because they it's all it takes is one i mean i think all it takes is one run right (laughs) yeah and i think i think joanne duran's probably in the right around that hater line for a lot of people I think you'd second, look at them maybe very the similar. Circle of trust. He's either he's either the, one of the last guys in the first group, or he's the top guy in the second group. He's right in that conversation as kind of a top six, seven, eight closer. I think the the only real question with him, same kind of thing as we've always had, is how many save opportunities does he lose based on the way the Twins want to handle their bullpen? Is that still going to be a concern going into next season? He's got a but shot also- at thirty, maybe with a good good September. It's a little bit of uh, a, a, just a growing concern every year with every team. Yeah. You know, it's, it's actually sort of surprising that the Giants have been so conventional at the closer role when they've done everything else to destroy convention in pitching. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things I really like about the, what the Brewers have done over the years. Once they decided Taylor was just a closer and ever since Devin Williams replaced him, he's just been the guy. That's it. Devin Williams is the closer. Devin Williams gets the saves unless the game goes extras or unless he's not available because they've had three consecutive days of the save chance or recent workloads somehow 
steer him away from the game plan that day. And that sort of predictability is, it is increasingly rare, as you said. And I think that's, that's something that jumps off the page to me as uh, something I really like. Now, I guess the, the downside in Williams is that high walk rate. He is a higher walk rate guy. That's, that's how guys reach against him. It's one of the ways they get on against Devin Williams. Yeah, it's possible. Just we're reading this all wrong, and Edwin Diaz won't will have an injury um, a discount, and Devin Williams and Josh Hader will have walk rate discounts, and the number one reliever taken next year will be Alexis Diaz. Well, meatball draft. Just one last time, bringing that up. Yeah, for what today. was number one? Bautista was first. Oh well, that's uh, brutal, right? Yeah, um, Class A was the second closer. Before so the end of round had two, some staying power up there. Yep, that was our buddy James Anderson. It's it's just knowing he's the guy. Like in yeah. this early, that makes sense. Hater was third, and we don't know where Hater's going to pitch in twenty twenty four. He's a free agent, so he's probably going to cash closer, in. Rysel Iglesias was up there. I don't know if I'm Not as high on Iglesias. Me. Yeah, I think he's a little lower for me. Doval and Devin Williams were also within the first three rounds, and then Alexis and Edwin Diaz went back to back early in round four. Nice. Before you got to Duran and Jordan Romano, and then coming back through in the fifth, no closers in the fifth, and then all the way down to Ryan Presley so that in the back in the part fifth, of the sixth. I could have taken. You had choices in the fifth. You could have had your choice of any one of these guys. This is the order they were drafted in: Ryan Presley, David Bednar, Kenley Jansen, Paul Seawald. Andres Munoz. Those are the only other closers that were not drafted. bad, dude. I take Bednar and then maybe even double up on the way back. Yeah. Oh, and Elzelai went in there too. Elzelai went at the end of the sixth. So he was part of that. Maybe a fifth round closer for me next year. All right. See, we're always thinking about the future while we think about the present, but I uh, love the way the Cubs have been using Adbert Elzelai. Uh, we got some hitters that we'll save for later in the week. And if you've got other hitters you want us to talk about that are just surprisingly important to your teams the rest of the way, just tweet at us at rates and barrels. We're happy to fold a few more names into the rundown. Uh, I had one more pitching question to get to before we go. This one came in uh, over the weekend, I believe. And it's basically uh, what to do with Tyler Wells in a deeper league because he's been shifted to the bullpen and he's still pitching at triple A. A few weeks ago, it looked like someone that might come back and and be a member of that rotation down the stretch, and they're maybe managing his innings by just sending him down for a little while. But in a 15-team league at this point, is well someone you're still stashing away, or are you using that roster spot on somebody else? You know, I, I wrote the, the blurb on Bautista being out and brought up the fact that D.L. Hall uh, was, was, was brought up to the big leagues and could figure into the, you know, the mix and... Shintaro Fujinami, um, you know, both behind Cano. Tyler Wells in the minors this year or in AAA this year is not striking out a ton of hitters, has never really struck out a ton of hitters. I know he's been a closer in the past in, you know, in, in baseball, but I don't see him filling that role when put up against the other people that are in that pen. They just have more strikeout stuff, more kind of closery stuff. And I, and notice I included Fujinami's, so... Right, right. I think they want a, Wells for bulk. I think he's a he's a yeah. bridge on their short starters, and they're just trying to keep him fresh enough in the minors to have him still have something left in the tank once the playoffs get here. But it's not a very yeah. fantasy-friendly role at all. It's a, it's a brutal role for fantasy purposes. Yeah, yeah. I almost dropped him off my 20-team league just because... I think he's too close to that glob and um, I'm trying to, you know, finish in the money. Yeah. So I, I think in the case of this question came from Sean, thanks for sending this question in Sean. I think it, it's a cut. Try to find someone that can help you a bit more than Tyler Wells at this point. A few weeks ago, I was on board. I know Al on the pod said he was a I hold. I thought back. the same thing. I thought it was going to be a quick turnaround and I thought maybe we'd even see him piggybacking off of Flaherty. If Flaherty was having problems getting deep into starts and, you can see, you know, foreigning outings again. That's, that's something to watch. I mean, he's had two appearances in AAA and two innings. So right now that's more of a bullpen role. But if the next one is two innings, then maybe all they were trying to do was slow him down and then bring him back up again because of innings totals. Because, you know, his career high was 2022 is 105. He's already at 115, 
123 this year. So if they wanted him at all later on, at some point they had to do something where they throttle him back and then move him forward. So there's st- I think it's still an open question about like how many innings he pitches in his next appearance in AAA. Yeah, well, it seems like that's very much up in the air at this point. Thanks again for that question, Sean. Uh, we are going to sign off on our way out the door. We could have a special on subscriptions right now. It's down to $1 a month for the first year. You can get that by going to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Gets you everything that Eno writes, fantasy football coverage, everything else we've got on the site for one low price. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The pod itself is at rates and barrels. Feel free to tweet at the pod. The pod is very happy when people tweet at it. So, Stroke the pod's ego, if you don't mind. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.